shit here. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to Sales is King. This is Dan Sixsmith. I'm your host. Happy to be with you for another episode. And we've got a great one today, um, a great interview, which we will get into shortly. Just some quick housekeeping. Uh, welcome to any new listeners. Uh, welcome to Sales is King, where we take on uh, current day issues as it relates to sales, as it relates to business, as it relates to the challenges of connecting, of building a business, of getting on top and staying on top. So if you're new, check us out. If you like today's episode, please hit subscribe. We'd love to have you as an ongoing subscriber and listener. Um, if you have a chance, write us a review or give us a rating as it helps us kind of uh, move along the standings, if you will, for lack of a better word. Um, welcome back to all our loyal followers. Um, I know you're going to enjoy today. So let's talk about um, what we're going to be presenting today is a great interview with Michael Alden, who is a super successful entrepreneur. I was able to, um, I came across Michael on um, a podcast uh, a number of months ago. I listened to him. I was exceptionally impressed. Uh, he had a new book coming out, which I ordered and read called Blueprint to Business, which you must get. It is a honest, and I love to use the word, it is just a truth, truthful, honest, no-holds-barred approach to what it takes to succeed. Michael tells all of his successes, all of his difficult times, um, how he managed to get to where he is today, how he manages to stay on top, and how you need to do it each and every day. A little bit of additional background on Michael. Um, in addition to being an author, where he has written Blueprint to Business, 5% More, and Ask More, Get More, he is also an accomplished public speaker. He is the CEO and founder of Blue Vase Marketing, LLC, which is a multi-million dollar uh, full-service direct response marketing agency. Um, he is also involved very heavily, and we get into this uh, in the interview, in the world of cryptocurrency, which is now beginning to explode. Um, Michael is working hard to be a thought leader uh, in that space, and you should definitely follow him if you have an interest uh, in cryptocurrency. He's very involved in uh, philanthropy, uh, in the community. Uh, he is a lawyer by trade, and he comes from the school of hard knocks, more importantly, which, um, you know, is a school that many of us uh, may not have come from, but really need to listen to and subscribe to. So let's get into the interview with Michael Alden. Talk to you soon. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Sales is King. Dan Sixsmith here. Happy to be with you again. And we've got a great guest, a great interview today. Michael Alden is with us, who I happened to hear uh, on a podcast a number of months ago. Um, and I said, man, oh, man, this guy is sharp. Uh, he had a book coming out called Blueprint to Business, which I immediately ordered, uh, pre-ordered on Amazon. Uh, I've read it a number of times, and uh, I'm happy to have him with us today. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is great. So let's talk a little bit. Um, I, I'm very excited and looking forward to getting into this book because I think it's a book that um, if you're in sales, if you're in business, um, if you want to succeed in life, you know, you need to have this book and you need to listen to what Michael has to say because um, he's had a number of great successes, but it's also, you know, not an easy road. And he talks very candidly um, about what you might encounter and how to overcome those obstacles. And we'll get into that. But I'd love to learn a little bit about your kind of early career in business, you know, how you got started. And if there was ever a time where, you know, kind of this you had this aha moment or a switch flipped on that said, hey, I've got to, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. 
Yeah, I mean, it actually, you know, it's, it dates back to my childhood, you know, kind of the way I grew up, you hear it a lot, you know, um, I grew up surrounded by crime, drugs, violence, my mother uh, is HIV positive, my stepfather died of AIDS, my father was addicted to coke, one of, my, one of my brothers did time in prison for distribution, a kid I grew up with in jail for life of murder, um, I wasn't really the best kid growing up in the projects, you know, I remember uh, going to elementary school, middle school, and high school, and standing in the separate line, because my lunch was subsidized by the state, you know, and I remember, uh, we're from Boston, and I remember a cold New England morning, Mornings and we would wake up. Uh, one one morning, my mom, uh, we woke up and she said, "Hey, go outside and warm up the car." It was this old beat up Dodge Colt. And I went outside to go warm it up, and the car wasn't there. And it wasn't there because it was stolen, which is the neighborhood we grew up in, which is definitely possible. It was because it was repossessed. So you know, growing up poor. Uh, you know, in my first book, Ask More, Get More, is one of the first lines I say. I says, I thank God I grew up poor. Growing up poor is actually not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing, depending on how you look at it. So for me, it was all, it always drove me to want more because I needed more, you know. And then sometimes I went down the wrong path as well as a result of that. When you're a kid growing up in the projects and you need things, sometimes you, do, you don't necessarily do the right thing. Um, but, but I was that kid on a, on a winter day when it snowed out, when we didn't have school, I was shoveling driveways till seven o'clock at night until I couldn't move anymore. Uh, you know, I was still having fun and having snowball fights and things like that, but I was able to say, Hey, you know what, if it's snowing today, uh, I could go out and make 150 bucks in like 1988, which is a lot of money back then. You know, it's a lot mm -hmm. of money any day. It's still, still a lot of money. If you don't have, if you're broke, um, on hot, on hot summer days, I was, you know, uh, you know, had lemonade stands and, and, you know, we literally franchised them. We had different lemonade stands in different areas on hot summer days. Um, you know, I had a, uh, a paper route. I had a, a lawn care business uh, from a lawnmower that I, that I literally took out of the, that I found in the trash. Um, and I'm not a very mechanically inclined guy. My next door neighbor, who I'm still close with to this day, we lived in like a duplex. I'm very um, close with his, with his son, Lonnie. Um, in fact, Lonnie is actually in my book. Um, you know, uh, so I was able to figure things out because I had to. If I wanted that GI Joe, if I wanted the the nice baseball glove, you know, my first bike, uh, I tell the story and ask more, get more. My first bike I bought by collecting cans out of a out of a you know a trash containers and 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 going trash picking. My uncle helped me out a little bit too, but you know, so I kind of was just born into it because I had to, and mm -hmm. it's such a great gift because, you know, you can you can look at it either way. You can say, man, this really sucks the way I grew up, and you could just stay there. And I was just talking to actually Steve. Uh, Paris, who's uh, who's in our studio right now, and we were talking about this yesterday. You know, this whole thing of like, don't forget, don't forget where you came from. People mm -hmm. always say, don't forget where you came from, and I and and I, and I started to kind of question that. I'm like, well, why do I have to remember where I came from? And we were kind of having this philosophical, you know, discussion about it. Um, you know, it's like, you know, be humble, but just because you grew up in the projects doesn't mean you need to stay in the projects. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, and it's a great example of. Um, you know, are you going to let your circumstances define you or are you going to take control of your life, you know, and get out there and, you know, set goals and try and try to, to you know, achieve something. Um, so, you know, thinking about that, what would you tell somebody that didn't have, you know, a, a tough upbringing, you know, that had everything kind of handed to them um, and got used to, you know, um, many of us live in affluent neighborhoods today right. and we see there's a whole different way of raising kids than you know when we were kids and, right. and a lot of kids grow up and they they have things and they expect things so how you know what advice can you give them how could they get that um you know that desire to to achieve success like that yeah well i mean the first thing that people really need to understand is that it's not just going to happen i think a lot of people and i have friends i i'm here sitting in my home in beverly massachusetts where in the same projects i grew up in i'm in a private neighborhood it's a literally walks steps away from the beach um and and it's and it's a great place and and i think about that same question about how my daughter uh is going to grow up you know so but 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 the, the challenge is, is that even the kids that I grew up with that did have everything, they had everything. And I remember coming to this, these very neighborhoods, this one's a brand new neighborhood, but I remember mm -hmm. coming to these neighborhoods and saying, man, I want that stuff, you know, and those kids in, in a way were, were given, you know, great opportunities. And it's really sad to me that most of those kids, they're not doing anything in life. I was supposed to be dead or in jail, you, you know, uh, when I was 17 years old. And I far surpassed anything that these guys will ever even do in their life. So it saddens me that they kind of grew up with it. So what do you do? Well, mm -hmm. here's the thing. Um, 
you have to understand it's not just going to happen. Just because you grew up in an entitled area, just like I said, when I grew up in the projects, doesn't mean it's going to be given to you. You have to work for it. You know, those people that, you know, where you hear about, um, you know, like their parents might have passed on their, their business and then, you know, they kind of, they, they're just kind of like barely making it. The, the ones that, that really, really, uh, that you really look up to are the ones that, you know, the parents pass on the business and then they do something with it or they grow it or they, or they're, or they innovate the different businesses. So you need to understand that it's not just going to happen. You're not entitled to it. The world is not going to give you what you think you're entitled to. And, and by the way, it will never happen ever unless you actually do something about it. And I still have friends that are still waiting because they feel as though they are entitled because they went to a better college than I did because they grew up in a better neighborhood than I did because they, because their parents were members at a, you know, at a, at a private, you know, uh, you know, country club. And I wasn't, and they feel as though that they should just be given this stuff. And I say to you, that's fucking bullshit. I yeah. swear a lot. I'm from Boston. That's just the way yeah. to, that is not the way to think just because you grew up in a, in an area or because maybe you're smart, you know, 99% of the population is smarter than me. What's the difference between me and them? I go out and get it. And you have to understand that. You have to go out and get it. But you also have to understand because these kids that grew up like that, uh, and it's happening more so now than it, than it even did then, they don't experience failure. They don't right. experience what it's like, you know, to be down and out. I'll give you an example. So, um, you know, I, right now, m my business life, well, within the past uh, eight months, um, post uh, Blueprint to Business, has continued to actually become more and more challenging to the point where I felt as though that I was almost going to go out of business. Now, my company's generated hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's like a really sad proposition. And my daughter um, listens to me. Uh, and all these conversations that I'm having when I'm on the phone, I'm picking her up, I'm driving her to school, I'm driving her to soccer practice, and I have these conversations with her. And so just recently, she said to me, Daddy, you know, we haven't gone on vacation in a couple of years. And, I, and I, she said, well, everybody else is going on vacation. And I said, mm -hmm. well, you know, honey, I'm, you know, it's, I'm, right now business isn't so hot. I told her that, you know, mm -hmm. told my, my 11, 12-year-old little girl that. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, I tell you what, here's the deal. I had a big deal that I had to close in order to basically stay in business. And I told her exactly what it was. I said, honey, if I close this deal, then we'll go to Florida. Now I didn't want to necessarily go to Florida. And not only that, um, I, you know, I booked it last minute, which was it probably the price was probably double than what it should have been. But I even, I even purposefully picked flights that weren't really the best flights. I could have picked the direct flight and paid almost double that, but I also wanted her to see that. I wanted her to recognize that, hey, we're going to Florida for four or five days and it's going to cost us like six grand. And I tell her that. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we're only going because you want to go. And, you know, she deserves it. She's actually a hardworking kid. Her mm -hmm. grades are great. But I wanted her to recognize that. I want her to see that. So a lot of people that are raising kids right now feel as though that they want to keep their kids out of, you know, kind of the, the real world stuff. I say, no, let them in on it. Don't stress them out to the point where like, hey, you know, we, you know, we're not going to be able to pay, you know, buy you a soccer ball because, you know, daddy's, you know, bankrupt. Right. But let them know what's going on because it, it clicks with them. They remember that stuff and they'll remember it long term. And they say, oh, yeah, you know what? You know, when I sometimes when my daughter, when we go into, and by the way, you know, I spoil her too. I mean, every parent does that stuff. But like sometimes right. when we go into a store, I literally put on our budget. I say, you want to buy something? You have $50. And she'll come back to me and I said, by the way, and you got to include taxes. What's the tax rate in Florida? What's it? It's 6.2% here. I think it's 6% down there. Mm -hmm. So she's doing that math. And so it's an exercise. So what do I say to those people is, you know, you need to recognize where you're at. And you also need to understand that it's not just going to happen. You have to work for it. That's just basic stuff. That's why my, all my books are so basic. Yeah. It's simple stuff, you know? No, it's, it's true, but it's just not being taught in school. And it's not really um, a common practice among parents. And it's so funny you say that story because I, I did the same with my kids. My kids are a little bit older. They're, they're now in the business world. But my wife used to say, hey, you, you tell them too much. You know, you, 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 you're bringing them in on, on issues. And I'm like, I want them to know. Right. You know, I want them to know if I have a challenge. And I want them to see me figure it out or not figure it out and, and right. let them start to build some of these skills. And I, I told my one son, um, you know, he's an aspiring sports play-by-play uh, uh, -play guy. And, um, you know, he was doing a lot of networking. And I said to him, I said, you know, people are going to be more open to speaking to you when you're a student, you know, and, and when you become that, you know, person that's out there competing for a job, it might get more difficult. And he was kind of like, ah, eh, you know, but shit, it really did. You know, once he got out there, it became really, really difficult. And he's still working on it. I mean, he's got a couple of great gigs. But, you know, it's just so important. I just, I agree with you so much, Michael. I just feel like we're doing our kids a disservice. We're doing this whole generation a disservice if we don't 
you know, educate them on what real life is really like. You know, I know you like Gary Vee like I do, and he talks about the eighth place trophies. You know, everybody gets a trophy, everybody's a winner, but life isn't really like that. And, well, I mean, I, I have a whole section of my book called Stop Lying to Your Children, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. in a book about business, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, that's a real problem. You got to stop lying to your children. You got to let them know what's going on. Don't, you know, you, you know, don't coddle them to the point. See, here's the thing is if you do that, if you, if you put your kid in a bubble and you feel as though that you're, you, they're never going to be in harm's way, which, you know, it's a, it's just a parental instinct, I think, um, it, you're actually doing them a disservice. You do need to let them in on stuff. You also have to be, you know, judicious on how you do it, right? You don't want to just let them know about every little single little detail. But like I taught my, you know, my daughter knows, you know, things like, oh, hey, daddy, so let me ask you a question. You know, so that guy you were talking to, so you're going to buy something from him, right? Yeah. And, and you're going to, it's, and you're going to sell it to somebody else for more. I go, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing, you know? So she hears that stuff and she starts <laughs> mm -hmm. to think about it and her mind starts to, you know, click, especially, you know, at this young age, they've, they've, it is, I mean, it's, it's basic physiology. Their, their brains are, are a sponge and they're going to continue to grow. And what you decide you're going to put in there is what going to, is what going to, uh, what is it? It's, it is what is going to help them long-term. Yeah. So true. So you had these early businesses kind of in your, you know, younger years what was the first business that was actually something that kind of took off for you yeah so that my first one is i talk about it in pretty much all my books is a product uh called zeus juice it's a a frozen uh popsicle with booze in it uh and uh it was one of those ideas that i was in college we're doing shots in college we had nothing uh to to mix it with and we started chasing it with flavor ice um and i came home uh, it was 1997 i came home and i said man i wonder I wonder if I could get this to freeze. And everyone's like, ah, oh, alcohol doesn't freeze. I knew nothing. I went and I bought a chemistry kit at Toys R Us. That's right, because that's the only place I knew where to buy them, which, you know, they're out of business too. I know. On their way. Um, and, uh, and I just started mixing uh, flavor ice uh, with uh, alcohol and just trying to figure out how to see if I could get it to freeze. Went through that whole process, figured it out, started showing people, and they're like, wow, this is a great idea. So I'm in my early 20s. I was selling cars at the time. And, you know, I just... I just didn't ever want to be one of those guys. And I call it, if I had only syndrome, I probably learned that from Zig Ziglar or somebody else. I forget, but you know, it's, you know, I, I knew I was young enough that if it didn't work, I could recover. And that's exactly what happened. I launched the business. We got, we had some great success in the beginning. Um, it was hard. It was brutal. It was fun. Um, it was a very expensive learning experience. It ultimately caused me to declare bankruptcy. I was in law school. I needed to make a decision whether or not I was going to continue to run that business or I was going to finish law school. I chose law school. And then I relaunched it in 2013, I think. Uh, and, uh, and we had a little bit more success with it, but ultimately, you know, when you look at all the different businesses that I'm in, it just, it just didn't make sense to continue to run that business. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you know, we shut it down. So that was really the big one. And, and, and that was, it was brutal, man. I mean, there were days I, and this is the stuff that I think that, you know, Gary Vee talks about this, but you know, I, I, I still think that he doesn't even, he's not as even as honest as I am in, in my book. You know, there were days where, um, you know, I would literally just on a hot summer day when I should be selling this stuff, I would stay at home laying, laying on the couch doing nothing because I was physically and emotionally and mentally just crippled because of, because it just wasn't working and it hurt and I was broken. I didn't know what to do. And then the next day I pulled myself up and I would go out and make some sales and then you try and get some momentum. So that's what it's like, you know, as an entrepreneur, it really is not easy. And you know what? And Gary V has said stuff like this. It's not for everybody. You know, the entrepreneurial lifestyle isn't for everybody. doesn't mean you can't work in an entrepreneurial, um, you know, uh, business. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, I tell all my executives, at the end of the day, you know, if my business were to fail, the only one that's left standing, if I'm even still standing, the only one that's left to answer for any sort of liabilities is me. And that's an awesome responsibility, especially when you have, you know, people that, 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 that depend on you. So it's an awesome responsibility. It's a... Uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing as well, as far as freedom, I'm sitting here in my home. Uh, you know, I didn't go into the office and do this, although Steve, uh, our producer is actually in our studio right now, probably listening to it as well. Um, and I have that freedom. And so a lot of, to me, uh, money is important to live. Money's never been anything that's, uh, that's something that really drives me. Um, the freedom, uh, is, is really kind of the most important thing. But for me, I, I also love building things, right. That is an entrepreneur. You got to just go, a lot of people say, Mike, you know, when's it ever going to be enough? I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean? You know, 
the, 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 the material things, that's not it. It's never going to be enough. I have a friend of mine, his father, is, uh, is, uh, he just had his 83rd birthday, and he's a prominent lawyer here in my hometown. He's not, he's not retired. He could. He's got a beautiful house, bigger than mine, actually on the water here in Beverly. Um, but he's not going to retire because it's not a job to him. He loves it. This is what he exactly. does. I mean, it's, 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 it, you know, once you find that, um, you're, you're a pretty lucky person. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I talked to a bunch of my friends and it's like the notion of retirement to us, it just doesn't exist. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's not the old days. It's not getting the gold watch and shutting it down and, you know, going to play golf. I mean, it, it, it depends on, I guess, your perspective, but right. for me, I just want to keep going and adding value as long as I breathe, you know what I mean? And I, I guess it's a personality thing. Um, so did you ever consider just being like a, a lawyer, an attorney? Or was oh, yeah, a- no, I was. I, I was. So I practiced law for almost 10 years. Okay. Uh, and okay. so uh, right, out of, uh, right out of law school, uh, so I declared bankruptcy um, in, let's see, what year are we? 2018. So it was like 15 years ago, maybe longer than that. So maybe like two, in the year 2000, I think. Something mm-hmm. um, I was in law school. Uh, I needed a job. I was broke. And I found a call center in my local town in Beverly, uh, that was, uh, it opened 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I went to law school night. So I needed that flexibility to be able to come in and out. And, uh, it was a great job. I had a sales background. I had, you know, I, I had sold cars for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. I was a recruiter, so I understood sales. And to me, it was easy calls were just coming in, uh, to this call center and, um, I excelled at it. I ultimately passed the bar exam and then I became their in-house lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. for, for about five years. And then I, I still, I still remain active. You know, uh, but I now I have a lawyer that works for me. They say a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. Um, so uh, I did practice law, uh, and uh, I loved it. I love the law. I love everything about it. I love the 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 mental aspect of it. The the you know the the way we're trained. You know, we think differently. I think a lot differently than most people, and it's something that you can only get if you go through law school. Yeah, and they they take you through that a little bit on the LSAT, which I. Uh... Yeah, unfortunately, didn't do too well with. So that was kind of. Oh, were you an attorney? No, I'm not. Oh, oh but you took I, the LSAT. Okay. I took I, the LSAT. Um, I was a paralegal for about uh, a little, right out of college, uh, for about seven or eight months while I was thinking about law school, and then I didn't do that great on the LSAT. And I was working in a corporate firm, and I said, God, these guys are all insane. You know, I just saw them. And I'm like, I don't think I want to be like these guys. So yeah. I wound up going into. Well, that lifestyle and working in a law firm is, uh, is, is uh, definitely for a special person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't do well in the LSATs either. I scored a 145 twice on the LSAT, which is mm-hmm. the low 30th percentile. I got the same. I got the exact same score twice, which actually technically brought me down. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I felt as though that, that uh, it was over for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be, I graduated with a 3.0, exactly mm-hmm. a 3.0. I had a lot of great things in college. I was class president, I played football, I had a lot, all these other things. But law school, they say that matters, but not really. Um, and I was fortunate enough to, I, by the way, when you talk about it's not just going to happen. So I graduated with a 3.0. I had a low 30th percentile LSAT score. And, you know, law school, medical school, uh, you know, those are probably the two top two as far as, you know, competition is concerned and, uh, it's not easy. And so I did everything I possibly could to get into law school above and beyond anything that anybody would have ever done. I went out and I leveraged every relationship I had, which wasn't many. Um, I, I talked to every, every person I knew, uh, about what I need to do in order to get into law school. And then, you know, I applied to a few different law schools. I got into a couple and then I got got into Suffolk law, which is a, you know, fairly decent school here in Mm -hmm. Boston. Yeah, I remember that one. And um, it was uh, it was one of those things where if I hadn't have pushed that hard, if I hadn't have asked for more out of others, then it would have never happened. And then I got in, you know, I graduated with honors, top half of my class. Uh, and I was on the dean's list, you know, three out of the four years. And, um, you know, the rest is history. But, you know, that that low LSAT score, I had the same thing. And by the way, the bar exam, I get to the bar exam. I missed the bar exam by one question. Oh, God. And everyone always says, well, that's okay. JFK, you know, he took him five times. That doesn't make you feel any better. No. I missed the bar exam by one question. Uh, and here's the, and, and I, you know, I tell people that I learned this from, from Zig Ziglar that I never failed at anything. You know, I just didn't pass, you know, he calls them temporary defeats. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I love that. You've kind of taken that, you know, from him as well. And, and, you know, when you don't pass the bar exam and you get that letter six months later after taking a two-day exam and, and it says, we, we, uh, regret to, <laughs> we regret to inform, I have that hanging up in my, in my office uh, mm-hmm. to remind me, mm-hmm. um, it hurts. But here's the thing. I didn't pass because I didn't prepare. I only studied for like two weeks. 
The second time around, I studied for 13 weeks straight. I took one day off, 10 hours a day, every single day. When I went in the second time, I knew more about the law than anybody possibly could, and I crushed it. Here's the crazy thing. When you pass the bar exam, you don't get your score. But I knew going in uh, after day one that if I hadn't even showed up on day two, I probably still would have passed. And so it all came down to preparation. It all came down to me ultimately saying, all right, do I really want this? Am I really going to put in the time? Look, you graduated law school. A bunch of other people graduated law school as well. So now it's this, it's this next step. I have friends that when I went to law school that didn't take the bar exam, it blows my mind. Like, why did you go through this hell right. of right. not, you know, of, of not right. at least, you know, taking that step? You know why? Because they were afraid. Because they were afraid of failure. I'm like, dude, like, you know, I have a close friend. I'm like, and I joke around with now. It's too late. I mean, he's not taking it now. He's actually pretty successful. But I'm like, man, you could quadruple your income if you actually had your JD. Well, he has your JD, but if you actually had your... Um, okay. your license, you know, so. No, it's, it's incredible. And so many good lessons in there. I mean, you could have just given up after the LSAT and said, Oh, I'm not cut out for this, you know, but you kept, I pushing. almost did, man. I remember, I remember where I was when it happened. I was in my, we, by then we had moved out of the projects. So we in this tiny little uh, seasonal home in Danvers, Massachusetts on, on the Danvers river. And I was in the, in my, my, my bedroom was literally like, you could just fit a queen size bed in it. That was it. And I remember talking to a friend of mine's sister who actually, uh, was, a uh, happened to be an attorney at Reebok and, mm -hmm. you know, and she was like kind of talking me off the ledge. She's like, Mike, it's okay. You'll be all right. You're going to take it again. You'll be mm -hmm. good. You know? And then I took it again and I got the 145 again, but by then I was just determined, you know, I was mm -hmm. like, I, I, you know, I am going to go to law school. And whether it was Suffolk or another, I actually got into a couple other law schools, but Suffolk was the place I really wanted to go. It has a great name, great, re great mm -hmm. re reputation. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately that's, that's where I went. No, it's great. Great story. So let's talk a little bit about this, your latest book, which is called Blueprint to Business, which um, is a great book. If you guys haven't picked it up, you need to. Uh, because it's like uh, fantastic and I've highlighted it and I've put notes in the margins and I look at it frequently to keep myself going. So when did the idea first come to you to write the book and then how long did it take to, to, to pull it together? You know, it's a, it's an interesting question. So uh, my first book, Ask More, Get More, I had, I kind of had an idea for that. So we went through that and that book did really, really well. Second book, 5% more, same thing. Uh, actually, not same thing. I didn't have an idea for that book as well. And, you know, I've told that story a million times on how that came to me. And then Blueprint to Business came to me. It's an interesting story. So I have a production studio where uh, Steve is sitting over there right now. It's literally down the street. Uh, it's, a, it's a television uh, and radio studio. And um, I had a mentor of mine, you know, come, come down and he was just checking it out. And he, was, and he says, you know, what are you doing with this radio studio? And I said, uh, nothing. And he's like, well, what do you use it for? I said, well, you know, we use it to do like voiceover stuff. You know, it's, it's not like super high end, but it does the trick and it's, you know, it's nice and we got sound boards and all the equipment that we need and a nice microphone like the one you're using. Um, and uh, he said, you know, you should just start a podcast. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he's, I'm like, you know, it's just, you know, start a podcast, start interviewing local entrepreneurs, start getting some content out there, start to help build your brand of Michael Alden. And I said, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. So I started doing that and I felt as though, um, I had some, you know, some quality information I could share with people. So that book, Blueprint to Business, started out as me just one-on-one -on -one in the studio riffing about certain subjects that I felt passionate about. And that, you know, took, a, took some time. And then, you know, I said, man, I wonder, you know, I wonder if we could put this in book format. Now, I had already had a two-book deal with Wiley and Son, so I had a second book I had to fulfill anyway, or, or well, if I was going to fulfill one. And, uh, you know, we put it in book format, edited it, cleaned it up a little bit. I sent it to my, my editor that I had had work on my, on my first two books and, uh, asked him what he thought about it. He says, well, it's, you know, it's raw, man. It's really raw. It needs a lot of work, but I think those subjects are, are valuable. And I think, I don't think there's really anything out there as honest as your book. And so let's, you know, let's go through the process. So we went through the process, cleaned it up you know, sent it to Wiley and Sons and they said, yeah, we like it. You know, they, in fact, they wanted a fast track that we slowed it down a little bit because it still needed a little more massaging because, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's, um, you know, it's generally a one to two year process from, from start to finish, you know, uh, to write a, a decent book, you know, that's, that's edited properly and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how we came to it. And I'm like, wow, you know what, this is some valuable information because it's honest, man. It's real. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm tired of the guys that are yeah. out there that are, that are, you know, 
showing how successful they are and showing their, you know, their rented Ferraris and, and Lambos and they're on Instagram and they're passing out hundred dollar bills and they're in rented mansions. And then they have, you know, jets with their logos on them, but it's not even really theirs. You know, I'm tired of that stuff, man. You know what I mean? Let's talk about the real stuff, you yeah. know? So like, you know, do I have great things? Is my life, you know, quote, more fairly successful than I guess most people? Sure, maybe. But also at the same time, I'm just like everybody else. I'm not sitting on millions of dollars in the bank. Someday that's kind of like what I'm working towards. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand that, you know, Gary Vee has said this. And I, you know, I had um, uh, uh, Les Brown on my podcast and, mm -hmm. and, and, and he said, you know, it's the struggle that creates life. And once you realize that it really is the struggle and you become comfortable with the fact that it's not it's never going to be easy. It might get easier. It's just never going to be easy. And you're comfortable with that. And you understand that then it becomes easier because you know, all right, well, I'm going to have to deal with this. I'm going to have to deal with this roadblock. Like, you know, right now my business life is uh, still again, a bit, a little bit of, uh, you know, chaotic. And mm -hmm. it's like every step of the way I tell people, I say, I feel like I'm getting kicked in the nuts every two minutes. And, and you know, but I'm like, all right, so I got smart and I put a cup on and I'm like, all right, so how do I anticipate <laughs> this or what's this? Yeah. In my book, Blueprint to Business, I talk about worst case scenario. Yeah, right? I love I that. Say, I, say, I say, look, and a lot of people don't like to talk about that. And this is probably, I learned this as being a lawyer. And I say, look, what is the worst case scenario? And can you live with that? And if you can live with that, then going from there, everything else is gravy. And so that's how I've had to actually, I've had to take chapters and sections out of my own book to say, all right, my business is in complete disarray right now from things that are outside of my uh, you know, control and what can I do in order to fix it? You know? And so I need, to, I need to go to some people that I owe money to and say, hey, look, I can't pay you right now. You know, and they said, well, whoa, whoa, what? You know, you realize that you, you know, like I had one and they say, they realize, you know, we have a personal guarantee for $200,000, you know, against you personally. I said, yeah, I do understand that. I go, let's talk about what will happen. You're going to, you're going to sue me, mm -hmm. my company. And then you're going to come after me for $200,000. I said, well, good luck because I'm an attorney. My whole life is set up in, in a way that I don't own anything. I just, I'm honest with you. You know what I mean? Go ahead and sue me and get a $200,000 judgment against me. Or let's work through it. Let's right. talk about where I'm at. I've been doing business with you for almost 10 years. Let's figure it out together, you know, because as a lawyer, I know that nobody ever wins. I just, I've, I've been involved in high stakes litigation a, a lot. Nobody ever wins, including the plaintiff. So, you know, mm. let's just try and figure it out. And then once you can have that honest conversation and then, then be comfortable with the worst case scenario, it's amazing what happens. I'm, I was literally in a position uh, where I was just, I had no leverage, but you create leverage by letting people know that you're okay with whatever happens. Mm -hmm. No, I love that, you know, and it's, it's almost, it's, it's therapeutic, you know, it's, it's releasing the fear when you go to the absolute worst thing that can happen and talk it through, talk it out with somebody and then just embrace it. And then suddenly you're like, okay, you know, it's like the, what the fuck moment from, uh, yeah, right? from, yeah from, from risky business. I, right. talk, well, then, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's and also have that conversation with your adversaries. You know, uh, I, you know, I, I told my daughter and I've told people this, I mean, some of my closest friends, you know, in high school, you know, I, I met in, you know, in a, in a, in a brawl, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times that your adversaries can become your friends because you have, you're able to have that open and honest, you know, uh, candid conversation. And by the way, it doesn't feel good. No, especially, especially if you really don't have any leverage, um, it doesn't feel good to go to someone and say, Hey, look, you know, this happened and you know, it just kind of caught me off guard or even if you made a mistake. Um, but having that conversation, like you said, is therapeutic, you know, uh, I've gone to therapy most of the time throughout my life, but you know, talking to people and talking through it does, it is cathartic. It does make you feel better. And your brain starts to say, okay, well, how can I figure this out? Because there always is a solution. And by the way, it is extremely difficult to think like this when you're going through it. When you're in hell, it's very, very hard to say, oh, well, everything's great. Everything's yeah. fabulous. Yeah, you know? And right. I did learn from Ziegler and then these other guys. Like, I always tell people, look, I'm terrific. I'm fantastic, even when I'm not. But then sometimes, you know, you just got to be honest with yourself and say, all right, well, things aren't great right now. What can I do to fix it? You know, it's, it's that inner, uh, you know, gut check that you have to have and, and, and also say, you know, well, well how, how, where am I really right now? 
rather than posting images of yourself on Instagram and showing people, you know, how, how great you think your, your life is. Let's do this. I tell people, I said, stop lying on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter, you know, and posting images of, you know, you go to a jewelry store and you try on a Rolex and then you post a picture of it as if it's yours. I mean, there's all these fucking guys doing this. It drives yeah. me nuts. No, no, look, why don't you work towards actually buying that Rolex? And then if you're really happy about that and you want to show people, then post an image of it. Rather than I just fake it to make it thing drives me crazy. Don't fake it. Don't fake it. Work towards it, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And, you know, there's a lot of different things about that. Certainly there's, uh, I'm trying to think of the book, The Power of Consistency, Landon. I can't think of his name now, but I did a, um, I did a podcast on him. But it's, you know, if you, if you take personal accountability and say, hey, I, I fucked this up. Yep. You know, I, I put myself in this position then you put yourself in a position to solve the problem because you're taking the accountability and saying, Hey, I got myself here. But the good news is since I got myself here, I can get myself out. And yeah, and I mean, it's easier to blame everybody else. You know what right. I mean? It's easy to blame. I mean, I could blame my mother, my father, my brother, my environment. I blame everybody else. I can blame, you know, business things that have happened, you know, to me uh, on others. But I, I mean, I take full responsibility for everything that's happening. And I will say this, I mean, I had recent candid conversations with my executives and I said, guys, you know, I'm tired of saying that it's, it's on me. Okay. Mm -hmm. It comes a point where it really is on you. And so I'm, the people that work for me they're uh, I consider them close friends and it's really, really hard to draw that line, you know, to say, Hey, look, you know what I mean? You, you fuck this up, man. Mm -hmm. and, and you need to fix it. You're my buddy. You're my friend, but I will, I am not going to continue to allow this to happen because just because you're my friend, you know, so you, uh, as executives, whether you're in positions, you're in these positions for a reason, you need to step back and say to yourself, what did I do wrong and how can I fix it? You know, so that it never happens again. Um, because, you know, that's also, so, you know, when you talk about books, I mean, when I tell a story about, you know, outliers in the book outliers, they talk mm -hmm. about Korean airlines and how, you know, they were the worst airline there, there was because mm -hmm. of lack of communication. Right. So yeah, it is that inner gut check. It is that, you know, looking inside with yourself and within others and say, man, how can I fix this? How can I make it better? And how can I make sure it doesn't happen again? Yeah, so true. So one of the great uh, other um, things in the book that I love is, you know, if you boil it down, this book is about two things. It's, it's about to be successful, you need to know what to do, and then you need to go do it, right? right? And, and one of your biggest points is that so many people have the dream, but it doesn't make it into their thinking. And then even worse, it doesn't make it get into execution. Right. And I guess, why is that? You know, what is, is it fear? Is it laziness? What do you, what do you think it is? Well, it's a lot of different things, but I mean, I tell people, yeah, I tell people to stop dreaming. I did a whole speech once at a high school for all these at-risk kids, and I got up and my and the whole my, my whole speech was telling them to stop dreaming. And the teachers were like, their jaws dropped. But then once they understood the message, and yeah. what I mean by stop dreaming, I say dreaming's for sleeping. I say rather than dreaming, let's mm -hmm. let's let's set realistic goals. If you want to have a vision, you know, like I don't call them dream boards. People have dream boards. I call them vision boards. If you want to have a vision for something that you want to be in the future, well, that's fine. Let's do that. Let's think about that. You want to close your eyes and try and you know work on the mental side of it, like you know professional athletes do, and they try and envision themselves in certain situations so that when they get there, they're prepared. We can do that, right? But let's stop dreaming. Okay, that's the first thing. You mm -hmm. want to go to bed at night and, and dream about, you know, going to Hawaii or, or whatever, just to make yourself feel better. That's fine. But if you want to be the next CEO, if you want to be the president of the United States, if you want to be a multimillionaire, you can't dream about it because it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's not just going to happen. So the first step is, is like, all right, so, you know, uh, you are a, you know, an 18 year old high school dropout and, you know, you're working at a, at a grocery store. Okay but you want to be a millionaire. All right, well, what do you need to do? You know, what, you know, so what, how, how are you going to accomplish that? You know, mm -hmm. and then you have to start thinking about it and then you have to do it yourself. I can't, I can't answer those questions for you. You got all these coaches out there. They can sit down with you and say, okay, well, what's your passion? You say, oh, well, I'm a singer. Okay. Well, I write that down or, or, I, you know, I, I like uh, landscaping or whatever it is. You have to start to figure out, you know, what, you know, what, what direction you want to go in. And that's what a lot of like life coaches try and do, but mm -hmm. yeah, you need to actually start doing it. And so, and then it goes back to the philosophy in my first book, uh, second book, 5% more. You have to understand that it's not just going to happen once you're working. You have to take these, uh, what I like to call micro steps or micro moments, and then just compound on those over 
over time because you to go from zero to a millionaire is just not going to happen. But to go from zero to making a hundred bucks a week, 200 bucks a week, 500 bucks a week, a thousand bucks a week. Now you're making 50 grand a year. Now you're making 75 grand a year. Like, all right, cool. You know, right now in 2018, 75 grand a year for, you know, for even a you know, family of three people is, you know, livable, you know, and then it's like, all right, well, what else can I do? How do I get to a hundred? What do I need to do to get to 100? What do I need to do? You know, so those are the things you need to do. And a lot of people say, well, well I'm stuck in a job and this, that, the other thing. Just figure it out. You have yeah. to figure it out. If you're work, people always say, well, I work 60 hours a week. I have a, um, I have a friend who uh, I'm, in, uh, I'm investing with in a, in a restaurant, right? And, uh, and, you know, he says, well, I said, you're going to have to be there, you know, 70 hours a week. You know, he says, well, yeah, I'm going to have to work, you know, like 90 hours a week. And if you think about that, that's literally there from seven in the morning to like nine o'clock at night, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. People who own restaurants really do that. But most people don't even work a legitimate 60 hours a week. Like mm -hmm. I don't even work a legitimate 60 hours a week. When I say that, I say that kind of in jest because I'm always working. But for me, working isn't work, right? So mm -hmm. I'm always just kind of in, in business, always doing my thing. Most people don't want to put in that work. You asked, why is that? People are lazy. They don't want to put in the work. They don't want to get up in the morning, you know, when they're tired and put in a, a legitimate 12 hours a day. If they, you know, you talk about consistency. I have a lot of people that are consistently inconsistent, mm -hmm. you know? So the, the only thing they're consistent with is inconsistency. <laughs> they, hey, no. So if you want to be successful, you, like I have sales guys, right? And I look at their sales and I'm like, man, you just made three grand this week. Your pace on 150 grand a year. Now let's do this for the next 50 cycles. <laughs> then get to the end of the year. You just made 150 grand a year. Just because you made $3,000 this week doesn't make you're making 150 grand a year. No. You need to do that every single. So what did you do? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I put my head down. I didn't talk. I, I didn't go off for cigarette breaks. I didn't, you know, I showed up every single day. I didn't make excuses. I told my wife, listen, honey, I got to come to work today in order for us to put food on the table for our kids. You know, you have to make sacrifices too. People aren't willing to take, uh, make sacrifices. They're not willing to put in the work and it's not just going to happen. So what are you going to do? You know, and that's why I say like, even for myself and again, man, like you have to understand, like what I'm saying this, I'm not preaching to people. This is the stuff I, I, I have to give myself a gut check all the time. You know, mm -hmm. I wake up in the morning, I have a, um, a painting above my, of my fireplace in the bedroom uh, of, a, of an artist, we were talking about art earlier, of, of an artist, his name is Romero Brito, and it's, and it's of, the word, of the word happy. Because I need to remind myself that I need to be happy every single day. It doesn't just, happiness doesn't just happen. That's what people understand. You got to work at it. So everything is work. So look, man, if you want something, you just have to like go out and start doing it. And it's uh, so cliche-ish and it just sounds so simple and but what really saddens me is people watching right now you know and hopefully we're you know we're getting across to some people and you know as soon as they're done watching this this podcast you know they may go out uh, tomorrow or this afternoon or whatever and start doing stuff but it is that consistency you have to do it over time and how do you do that you do it gradually you don't just jump into it and say i'm quitting my job and i'm going to do this no there's a great book called The 10% Entrepreneur. I had him on my podcast. And he says, look, you can start gradually over time, right? And just start to get into the business. If you're, a, you know, if you're working at a, at a call center uh, like mine and, uh, and you want to be uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, an artist or you want to have a start a t-shirt company, that's fine. Start it on the weekends. Start it at night. And then you get to the point where it actually is generating revenue, generating income for you. Then you're ready to make that leap. Don't just jump into it. You got time. You know what I mean? You got time, but you have to work at it. Yeah, it's so true, you know, and um, it's like, uh, you know, every day, maybe you just get in baseball, you know, you get a couple of more hits, you know, it's not always hitting a home run. It's not always a grand slam. It's money you know? ball. I mean, it's, 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 right? it's, it's movie money ball. I mean, it's yeah. what, it's, it's what, it's what, it's why the Red Sox won the world series. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not about getting up and hitting home runs. It's about getting up and being consistent. Having that batting average, you know, over the course of time. And I guess, you know, one of the things that slows us down uh, is, you know, um, when difficult things come up and challenges. And in the book, you talk about, you know, failure um, and that you really say that failure for you doesn't exist. It's, right. it's really um, set. It's a setback and not a failure. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, again, I learned that from Zig Ziglar. You know, I, I was really fortunate enough to actually meet him. I went to the, the, uh, 
29th anniversary of his 51st 51st birthday which is his 80th birthday and um you know i've had dinner with him we actually did wow. an we did an infomercial with him back in the day and he's you know hanging out with him for sales guys you know is like being around like a deity you know and, and and you know so you know i read a lot you know i have you know i have right on my desk right here you know just reaching over, you know, so, you know, Norman Vincent Peale, I didn't read this until last year, you know, this right here, uh, the law of success this is the original version of law of success. Some people read the Bible every day. I have these right here. If you could see my desk, I have, um, you know, different, you know, uh, quotes and things like that, you know, to remind myself, you know, to, 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 to fight through it. You know, when I'm dealing with a tough time, a lot of times I'll, I'll pull, I'll just literally just open up a part of the law of success and just start reading it to remind myself of some of the things that, that I need to do. Same thing with Norman Vincent Peale. Again, I didn't read this until last year. I can't believe it. You know, it's such a great, such a great book, but positive thinking is not the end all be all. That's the other thing too. I, mean, yeah. I can be as positive as I want, but you actually got to do stuff. That's why I like the law of success. And I talk about the law of success in, in pretty much all of my books. So yeah, failure, man. Once you start to realize and start to say to yourself that failure is temporary, uh, I don't like to call it failure. I call them temporary defeats. Again, I learned that from Zig Ziglar and you can recognize, it's funny, I just had a guy reach out to me. He says, Mike, I read your book, um, Blueprint to Business. I love it. He says, you have a, a contradictory statement in Blueprint to Business about, about failure. And I was like, oh shit, did I really? And I went back and I, I said, where? You show me where? And I think he said on page 187, I got pulled up. I, he was wrong. I just, I, I just used the word failure in there, but I didn't use it in the context that I ah. use it. I just, you know, talked about. So, you know, and in, in, in so when you think about it, I was telling someone this uh, recently, 99% um, of the things that I do don't work. Uh, and if you want to call them a failure, that's fine. But I think it's that failure is fatal. So, you know, I have a, I have a vodka right here. So there's a vodka. It's called, uh, I'm not promoting it, but it just happened to be here on my, on my desk. It's called Emory, it's Emory Vodka. We, know, we're, we had a lot of success with it, um, but because of other business challenges I've had, I've essentially had to kind of shut it down. And that mm. hurts, man, because I put a lot of sweat equity and a lot of cash uh, involved in that. I launched the Daily Fantasy Sports Company. I think I talk about that in Blueprint, uh, Blueprint to Business. Yeah. I had to sell that. You know, I launched a network marketing company, which is in Blueprint to Business called Cloisonne. I had to essentially kind of shut that down. Um, and if I looked at those as failures, I'd probably end up in a mental institution because I would just feel like a, just a, just a you know, subhuman. But as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as someone who's just on this planet living, you need to understand, man, that that's just the way it is. And it doesn't feel good. So, you know, if anybody's going to tell you that uh, I had these guys, these sales guys, you're in sales. These, I love these sales guys. Here. I love it when someone says no. And I say, well, why? And they say, well, because I'm so much closer to a yes. You don't love the no's. Nobody loves the no's. Horrible. Right. You just know that it's going to happen. Okay. So that's good to mentally prepare yourself so you can have that mental fortitude to get through it. You know, that's okay. So, don't look at the things that you're doing as a failure. And also don't be afraid. I mean, there's all these memes and all these other people say it. And again, I, I'm just honest with people when I say most of the things that I do don't work. And by the way, that's really hard too. When I'm trying to present things to like my executive team. So for instance, my uh, network marketing company, Cloisonne, you know, we put a significant amount of money, time, resources in it. And, and we had some catastrophic things happen that essentially forced us to kind of shut it down. And that really sucks because I felt as though what we're doing, I think my team finally bought into it too, that what we were doing was really kind of cool. Um, but ultimately we had to kind of shut it down, but that led into other things. Now I'm in the world of cryptocurrency, right? So we have, I have a mining operation. I have another book called crushing crypto. We have an infomercial right now on TV about my book crushing crypto. And if, if those things didn't happen, if those temporary defeats didn't happen, then I wouldn't be here today. If I had passed the bar exam the first time, I was thinking about this in the shower mm. today. If I had passed the bar exam the first time, I would have left that call center that I was working at and went to go work at a law firm because I actually had an offer at another firm. My life would be completely different. So those temporary defeats, a lot of people call them failures. You just got to recognize that there's a reason why it happens and they open up other doors. Again, really hard to see when it's happening. And, you know, when I, when I, uh, several months ago, when I was dealing with just, you know, absolute chaos in my business, I, I, I you know, I wanted to check out, not out of, on the planet, but I just wanted to check out of the business. I was done. I was like, you know what, man, I want to go, I want to go drive an Uber. I, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the stress anymore, you know, yeah. because it gets to you. Like we're all human. And I, that's, a, that's the thing that I think a lot of people just don't talk about, you know, it's, it's not easy, man. It's not easy being an entrepreneur. It's not easy being a parent. It's not easy being just working in your work a day world. Um, but once you can kind of get comfortable with that and say, all right, man, you know what? 
I'm going to get hit with speed bumps. Some people say, well, that's kind of a negative way to think. I don't think it's a negative way to think. I think it's just being prepared uh, mentally so that you can, you know, work through it. And then there's all these other things you can do, which I talk about in 5% more and, and, and ask more, get more physically getting yourself prepared for it. You know, like, you know, I was at the gym this morning, you know, I meditate twice a day, not twice a day, every day, but I'm a practitioner of TM. And, and, and so there are things that you need to do for your own brain so that you can get through it, you know, because it's just not easy. So true. So true. And that's, that's what I think the greatest thing about it. It's just the honesty about it. Um, there, there, you mentioned the struggle before. There's that great book by Brendan Burchard, um, High Performance Habits, where he talks about, you know, what are these, you know, super successful people doing? They embrace the struggle. They know it's going to be there and they don't fall apart when it happens. And, and, and you know, in the, in the digital world today, so much changes and you're just describing how you've adapted, right? Like we yeah. have to be, a, we have to adapt, you know, there's going to be a new freaking challenge every day thrown at us, a, a new distribution channel, a new way to buy things. Now you're into crypto, you know, and just staying cutting edge. So, you know, talking about sales, and this is obviously sales is king. Um, you know, a lot has changed um, on how we, you know, buy and sell things. What's your opinion of how sales has changed over the last few years? Well, I think that I think consumers are, are if they if they if they're smart, uh, are much more educated, you mm -hmm. know, so which is a good thing as a salesperson, you know, um, you know, when I sold cars, uh, I was in, in 97 from like 97 to 99. And, and, you know, the Internet, believe it or not, is still relatively new. So so people um, started to come in with the invoice and it was shocking to us you know, mm -hmm. and, and the numbers were right. I'm like, whoa, yeah. these people actually know this. So now they're becoming more educated. So yeah. Yeah. again, it's, it's, you're going to have to be able to adapt. So, you know, I don't think the fundamentals of sales really is changing. You know, mm -hmm. you need to build rapport with people. You need to offer a good service. You need to offer good value to people. You need to be able to, I tell people this, this when I buy things from people, I said, I need two things. I want a product that works. And I want good customer service. So if you can do those two things, I, I sit in rooms all the time where guys are pitching me stuff and they want to sell me software or they want to sell me this, that, the other thing. And it looks amazing. And, it, and it's just, they put on these great dog and pony shows, but then when it comes down to actually performing, they just, most of them do in fact fail temporary mm -hmm. defeats. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and um, so, so that's it. You know, you, when, when you're, when you're in sales, you get, you got to provide those two things, a product that works in good customer service. And then everything else just kind of works because then those customers will buy other things from you and it becomes mm -hmm. a lot easier. It becomes more of a, a relationship. And that's why when I mentioned, you know, the crypto thing, you know, we're starting to have a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, peer to peer, more symbiotic relationship with our customers where we're able to, you know, they're able to pay us in cryptocurrency, you know, and because they, they're comfortable with us, you know, and they, and they've been doing business with us, like, or, or they're buying my other things. Cause like, Oh, we bought his other stuff. And you know what? It worked for us, you know? And by the way, it's not always going to work. You're going to sell people stuff that isn't going to work. So what are you going to do? That's when you provide the good customer service. I grew up in this business and customer service, taking customer service calls. When I said I was in that call center, that's where I first started. So, you know, I think the fundamentals and here, here's one thing I, that I definitely know will never change in sales ever, <laughs> uh, regardless of the technology ever. We are always going to be buying things and we're always going to be selling things. It's just all that depends on which side you're on and how you're doing it. So that will never, ever change unless we somehow become cyborgs or something. And, you know, <laughs> so I say yeah. never, but I mean, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. So good. So I know we're getting close to the end. Just a couple of uh, final questions. So who do you look up to today? Who do you go to for advice? Um, you know, who, who's out there that's, um, you know, role models for you? Yeah, you know, I don't have a lot of role models, man. And, um, you know, it's more about uh, personal mentors, you mm -hmm. know, people mm -hmm. that I've done business with. I have mm -hmm. a couple of people that I've done business with throughout the years that have literally saved me, um, uh, that know more than me, uh, that have seen a lot more than me, that, have, that are, that are battle-tested. And, uh, and sometimes you have to suck up your pride uh, and go to them and say, the guy who uh, I mentioned about the podcast, his name is Charles Parisi. Uh, he, uh, I owed him, you know, almost a million dollars at one point, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, he talked me through it and, and, and showed me how to get out of it. I owed him a million dollars and, you know, he showed me how to get out of it. He didn't come to me and say, you owe me a fucking million dollars. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to break you. He said, Mike, 
let's figure this out. And I learned that from him, you know, I like, all right. So if I have, if I owe people money, I go to him and say, let's solve this problem. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, as far as people that are out there, I mean, I do think Gary Vee is pretty cool. I mean, I, I think for the most part, um, he's as honest as it gets. I've met Gary. I went to uh, an event with him, uh, a wine tasting event and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're the exact same age. I think his hustle is real. I think, um, you know, um, you know, I, you know, Grant Cardone, you know, I think there's, you know, and I say this with all uh, sincerity and, and, and no disrespect. I think there's a lot of materialistic things in the Grant Cardone world that people, you know, want that are just, it's just not, not achievable for most people. Um, mm -hmm. But I think his hustle is real. I think his mm -hmm. story is real. Uh, um, you know, I can, I can text Grant. I was on his show power play power players and mm -hmm. um, I've seen some of the things that he, that he's done. So it's pretty, so those two guys. So, but I, you know, as far as looking up, I think, uh, I, I think the challenge with that is, is that we get let down too many times, you know, because you just yeah. never really know what's going on in this world. You know, you got guys like Ty Lopez too, that are out there that <laughs> seems to be doing some really cool stuff, you know, but there's a lot of kind of like, maybe there's like smoke and mirrors. You're not really sure. I mean, he's got to be doing something right. Cause he's seems to have all this great material things, you know what yeah. I mean? So, you know, looking up to people is, is one thing trying to emulate people, you know, but I, I say to people rather than trying to find those heroes, you know, it's like Charles Barkley said, I'm not a role model, you know, mm -hmm. try and find somebody that's in your business. Like you mentioned your son earlier, you know, go to Brent Musburger or whoever. Right. And you know what right. I mean? Hey, look, I need, I need help. That's mm -hmm. the one thing that I found as is, is, um, probably the best thing is, is I, when I first started practicing law, I knew, I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have mentors. And so I went to this attorney that was representing my old company and I called him up. I introduced myself and I said, look, man, I said, uh, I need a mentor. And they kind of teach you that in law school. Like, you know, just, you need to like buddy up with somebody. So they'll, they'll so and he said, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall, but they, 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 people that are more successful than you that have done it before, they're, they're, they're open to helping you. You know, I talked about my Zeus shoe story, how mm -hmm. I launched that product, not knowing anything about the liquor business. I went to this guy, his name was Ray Bird. He had a, started a company called Tudors. They were these test tube things down in Florida and my product kind of competed with his. And I reached out to him. I just told him what I was trying to do. And he spent hours and hours and hours and hours with me showing me how to do it because that's what successful people do. So don't necessarily try and look towards a celebrity or even these, you know, Instagram or Facebook, you know, or, or Snapchat type celebrities. Take a look at who's your, in, in your industry and reach out to them and say, man, I'd love to just, love to just pick your brain. I'd love to just talk with you. You know, maybe you can show me some things. What do you think about this? And they'll talk, they'll talk and they'll give you information and they'll talk sometimes for hours. You know? Yeah, so true. And that's one of your other points in here that success can be duplicated, right? right? So uh, there are plenty of people that might be doing what you want to do and go find those people and go ask them how they did it and go do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and go do it. And it's like, uh, and, and you know what? And they won't be offended. No. You know what I mean? Because, because yeah. you know, what I'm doing now is essentially what my old company did when I was, when I was representing them. I'm just doing it better, you know? And, uh, you know, you, so you learn from people's mistakes uh, you, t you learn from their successes. You maybe can improve upon those. You take the bad things, you throw those things out, you adapt as time, as, as time changes, and then you move forward. So yeah, rather than trying to recreate the wheel, which I think a lot of people are trying to do, you know, they, there's a, there's a slogan, they say pioneering doesn't pay. <laughs> you know, it, it has for, you know, guys like Elon Musk and, and, and others, you know, if you have an idea, take a look and see if someone else is doing it. Like you know, I had mentioned, I'm in the crypto world now and in mm -hmm. the blockchain world now. And so we're looking at doing some stuff within the blockchain world and, I'm, and we're doing a lot of research to try and see, hey, here's our idea. Are there other people doing it? And the first question is, 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 is yes. Or excuse me, the first answer to that is yes, which is a great thing. It means there's, there's a market, yeah, right? right? And then you say, okay, well, what are they doing? Is it the same? Can we improve upon that? Maybe we can reach out to them. Maybe we could partner with them. So, you know, there's all these different things you can go through, you know, when you're trying to, you know, innovate, you know, you can innovate without recreating the wheel. Success 100% can be duplicated. So true. And then lastly, um, tell us a little bit about your podcast and what do you think of podcasting in general? So uh, my podcast is called The Alden Report, uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun, man. For me, it's like I, I joke around. It's like getting my PhD 
uh, in sales, marketing, you know, trying to become a thought leader. You know, I interview, you know, uh, I've had, you know, I've had Grant Cardone on my podcast. I've had, you know, uh, guys like Kevin Harrington on my podcast from, from Shark Tank. And, um, you know, I just, again, because I'm in the crypto space now, I've had some big players that are in the crypto world. And, and so for me, it's, it's a great learning experience. Well, I, at the same time, I can get that information out to people. And here's the thing, I don't make money with my podcast at all. Some people do, you know, I know like John Lee Dumas tries to show people how to make money doing it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But for me, it just kind of opens doors. It creates relationships and it might not turn into anything right now. Um, but it, it, it may in the future as well. And so I love it. You know, um, it's, it's really, uh, something that, that you can do inexpensively, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing, I don't, I'm guessing you're, you're at your home. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I happen yeah. to have a studio because it's a production studio. I'm here in my home now, but we're doing this podcast over software. I got a little microphone. Yours looks a little bit nicer than mine right. and we're doing this and we're creating good, valuable content. Yeah. So it's kind of fun. Um, really and then is. you just really never know what it leads to. So if you're trying to build a brand of yourself or if you're in sales, if you're a consultant or whatever it is, it's a great way to, to offer value to people. I mean, Gary Vee talks about that, you know, let's give them stuff. Let's give them, you know, real free, valuable stuff. And then you want to sell them something, sell them something later. Yeah, exactly. And give them a, a medium to listen to it at their own time, whether they're in the car or it just gives them, you know, the ability to, to listen to it when they're ready. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I started sales as king, literally, and, uh, you know, a lot of great stories we've been talking about. A mentor of mine I went to, and we were kicking things around, I was out on the West Coast, and he was a huge podcast listener, and I had never really listened to podcasts. And so I started downloading all these podcasts, and he said, you should do one on sales. You've been in sales a zillion years. So literally did sales as king just for fun, just started doing things out, and then got uh, actually people calling in saying, hey, can you come in and help our team? Um, they love your Maybe. training. And I'm like, yeah. what training? <laughs> so right. suddenly, you know, a business developed. But, you know, they say podcasting is the new selling. But, it, you know, it, it is a lot of fun. And, and it's a great way to get people to, you know, talk about issues and deliver value. And it's a great yeah. way to network too, right? Like you said, you know, so, so if you like, you know, reach out to, you know, again, some of the people, I had Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari and Chuck E. Cheese is on again, Kevin Harrington. I have had Dean Graziosi, Armando Montalongo, you know, just the list goes on and on. Some people that you would never really be able to reach out to unless you were offering them some sort of value. So my kind of, my kind of hook with a lot of things I do is I interview, you know, fellow authors, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so if they have a book, I see a book that's coming out, I say, Hey, look, why don't you come on and, and we'll talk about the book. And so that, that, that's valuable to them. You know, it's great. It's good content. We push it out, we give it to them. They can do whatever it is they want with it. And so then you're able to, again, develop that rapport with them. And then, you know, moving forward, you just never know, like, you know, Grant Cardone, how, you know, how I got on Grant Cardone's power players is that my book, um, ask more, get more was, was, uh, next to his book um, at all the different airports all over the country. And so I reached out to him and just kind of said that. He said, hey, why don't you come on my pod, you know, come on mm-hmm. my show called Power mm-hmm. Players. That was the first thing. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, we developed a little bit of a relationship. I'm not like, you know, best friends with him, but I could text mm-hmm. him here and there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I said, hey, you know, you got your, your new book uh, coming out called, um, the, what was it, uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average. Right. And uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. You know, he came on great content. You know, again, he's got definitely, again, that hustle is there. I mean, he's, you know, he's got that hustle and, you know, some people, again, love him or hate him. It's just like, but his mentality is almost the same way. It's like, I don't care if you don't like me. You know, that's the thing too. It's like, I I also became, he kind of taught me that. Gary Vee also did. I would say those those guys did kind of teach me. I don't really care if you don't like me. You know, yeah. so, well, whoa, what? Yeah, it, it doesn't bother me. You know, if you don't like me, that's fine. Unfriend me, unfollow me, whatever. Call me a loser. Right. I don't really don't care. Right. You know? And that, and like Grant really believes that. Gary oh, Vee yeah. really believes that. I really believe that too. But yeah, you're still going to feel a little bit if someone's talking shit about you out there. But that's yeah. just because we're human. And so, yeah. you know, uh, you know, I've learned those things. So for me, the podcasting is a, is a great, it's like an education. Again, you know, Zig Ziglar talked about his secretary who had her, uh, masters and from automobile university because she used to listen to tapes in the car when she drive back and forth. Podcasting is the same thing. Crypto, how I still really started learning about cryptocurrency, you know, mm-hmm. about, about a year ago or less. Um, I just started listening to podcasts. What, mm-hmm. what is this Bitcoin thing? What is blockchain? I don't understand it. I was just listening to podcasts. I love Howard Stern. Rather than listening to Howard Stern, I was just listening to podcasts. Yeah, so yeah. true. Just continuous education while you're in the car, like, you know, instead of putting on music, learn about something. And yeah. there's so many experts out there. I, I've gotten to, I, I've brought people on my podcast, such as yourself, and people I just never even knew about because I just yeah. listened to a podcast. I'm like, wow, this guy is great. I got to get this book. 
Yeah. You know, or I got to bring him on or I got to follow him on Instagram or I got, you know, and then suddenly you're starting to improve yourself. So it's, it's just a, and then it can turn into something too. Like yeah. if you, a lot of people are so impatient, like they think it's going to happen right now, but it is that relationship. It's that rapport building. It's, you know, like we don't really know each other, you and I right now, but you never know, you know what I mean? And you know, the future, you know, it just could develop into something else, you know, be like, Hey, well, you remember that time you said this or that or the other? I've done speaking gigs, same thing where I don't get paid anything. I was at a speaking gig with people paying 10,000 a seat and I didn't get paid a dime but it's turned into great things because i've met a bunch of other people like i'm speaking in a probably about five or six crypto uh shows coming up and you know again they're not paid gigs one of them kind of is but uh i'm more excited about just meeting people and yeah just some of yeah, the it's exposure right yeah. it's just uh yeah it, it's great so this has been great michael i really appreciate you coming on um this was a great session blueprint to business is this book you guys need to pick up i'm going to read those other two books as well um, any other way we can find you online or tell us a couple of your uh, handles, whether it's Twitter or Instagram? Sure, absolutely. You can find me, uh, it's at Mike Alden 2012, A-L-D-E-N on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat. Uh, my website is michael-alden.com and, uh, you know, I'm there. I'm active, I'm, you know, trying to provide content uh, on all those. Twitter, again, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, right. I want to thank you for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I think pleasure. You're providing great content. And if anybody, you know, has a question, they want to reach out to me. Um, a lot of times it actually is me responding. I've had people like say things and I'm like, no, this is really me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, I'll, try, I'll try and help as best I can. Yeah, I'm sure you will, because I actually reached out to you on Instagram for, to come on this program. And right. Were, <laughs> right? So That's how he, it happens. He, he does, you know, he's telling <laughs> the truth. So hang on one second. I'm just going to sign right. off. And, and uh, this is Dan for Sales is King. We'll catch you next time. Happy selling. 15% concentrated power, real, yeah. 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the name. 10% luck, and 20% skill, 15% concentrated power, real, yeah. 5% pleasure, and 50% pain, and 100% reason to remember the name.